This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and yes, I'm the Daniel and the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights, and it's truly, truly a pleasure to be alive and to be here with you today. Happy New Year to you. You know, we should congratulate ourselves for having survived our first year of a four-year sentence of being shackled to Joe Biden. And while I'm overexcited about the possibilities of conservatives winning back the House, and perhaps even the Senate, I'm nonetheless madder than a kicked hive of nasty hornets. You see, I have COVID-19. Yeah, it it was a Christmas gift, uh, sort of. No, I haven't re-gifted it to anyone, nor, nor do I plan to. God doesn't look kindly, I'm told, on this type of Christmas gifting. And now that I've mentioned God, I am thankful my wife is still COVID-free. But like millions of Americans battling cancer, we're also struggling with the crippling effects of being immunocompromised in the first place. Thus, COVID-19 vaccines and boosters aren't very effective in most of our cases. So we can't afford the insult of being infected with COVID-19, regardless of how many times we've been vaccinated. And I've been vaccinated uh, at least three times. Yes, as I've mentioned before, I'm deep into my second battle with leukemia, and the last thing I needed before me was a nasty COVID infection. It just goes to show you that no matter how careful we are, some of us are still stung by COVID, and especially since the Omicron variant has super-infective powers. And to top off these setbacks, I live in Florida, and like cancer patients in Texas, The Biden administration has stopped shipping monoclonal antibodies to treat those of us who become infected with COVID-19. Why, why you ask? Because Biden's in a political shootout with our outstanding governor, Ron DeSantis, and Texas's son of Liberty governor, Governor Greg Abbott. Both these governors have tried to help their citizens to help us out by setting up monoclonal antibody administration sites around their respective states to treat people on an ambulatory basis. You see, the, the Biden administration, and well, let's be honest, it's, it really is the Fauci administration. Well, Fauci hasn't supported ambulatory treatments for COVID from the start, and he still doesn't. Since Fauci promised the president that he could vax his way out of the COVID pandemic, They've, they've been afraid that if they began supporting ambulatory care for infected people, these folks uh, would simply avoid getting, getting vaccinated at all and instead would only worry about COVID if they became infected. If that happened, they'd just simply go to their physicians and hospital emergency departments and get treated. Now, since Fauci nor clueless CDC director Dr. Rochelle Walensky, they, they won't acknowledge natural acquired immunity. Uh, uh, natural acquired immunity. If you are infected with coronavirus and you and you live to tell about it, you develop lifelong immunity to the virus. It's called naturally acquired immunity. Well, since they don't acknowledge acquired immunity, they still want you to get vaccinated, even though you've just recovered from COVID-19. 
And if they let you get away with just being treated, uh, they know you won't be back for a vaccination. And, and they can't let that stand. Not these people. Please know by now, you should know by now, that the shared Fauci-Biden administration is a vindictive group. They'll come after you, even if they have to find you and make your employer demand you get vaccinated. And if you refuse, well, you'll be fired. Because that's the way these two presidents, Fauci and Biden, want it. And they don't care which federal court tells them to stand down. Uh, these bureaucrats are doing God's work, and, and they're doing it for the greater good. And, and they get to decide what good the greater part of good is. Now, yes, I am anxious to tell you about my experience over these past several days with leukemia, COVID-19, the healthcare system, and the Biden administration. And there's so much to cover in so little time that let me start by playing for you a Biden clip that hasn't really aged very well. Oh, by the way, forgive my deep voice today. I'm still recovering from COVID-19, and my voice has nearly hit the bottom of the octave scale. Here's Joe. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially, anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. We're in a situation where there are a thousand deaths a day now, a thousand deaths a day, and there are over 70,000 new cases per day. Compared to what's going on in Europe, as the New England Medical Journal said, they're starting from a very low rate. We're starting from a very high rate. The expectation is we'll have another 200,000 Americans dead between now and the end of the year. If we just wore these masks, the president's own advisors have told him, we could save 100,000 lives. And we're in a circumstance where the president thus far and still has no plan, no comprehensive plan. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing, investing in rapid testing. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe and give them the wherewithal, the financial resources to be able to do that. We're in a situation now where the New England Medical Journal, one of the serious, most serious journals in the, in the whole world, said for the first time ever that this, the way this president has responded to this crisis has been absolutely tragic. And so, folks, I will take care of this. I will end this. I will make sure we have a plan. Yes, a plan, boss, a plan. There's no doubt about it. Anyone with that many deaths on their hands shouldn't be allowed to remain president. That's very interesting, Joe, because actually more people have died on your watch in 2021, quite a few more, than they did in all of Trump's experience with the pandemic. And by the end of this, you will have doubled, maybe even tripled that amount. Masks? Masks, really? If the nation would just wear masks for 100 days, this alone would have saved 100,000 lives. Do you know where they, they got this information? Do you, do you know how absolutely ridiculous this is? There's no data to support this claim. They, they never had any. They, they still don't. They just pulled that trivia out of their n nether regions. Even the gaggle of television doctors 
who were high on mask wearing and back in the day, they've backed off their unqualified support for masks, especially for children. Now that the devastating evidence is in concerning making school-age youngsters wear masks for eight hours a day. And as for the cloth masks, even the designer cloth masks like Nancy Pelosi wears every day, these are entirely worthless as a protection against any of the multiplying COVID-19 variants. And that's a fact. There's not any allegation about that. That is a fact. And as for the plan, well, Trump had a plan. He had the plan for everything. Once the pandemic hit, he began planning for everything. He was a quick study. He planned for scores of unforeseen needs despite the Obama administration leaving nothing behind as how to deal with a killer pandemic from Asia. There was no testing program. The CDC botched the testing from the start because they wanted to be in total control of it. And we still have testing problems today that the CDC's got their finger in, and so does the FBA. There were no vaccines. There were no therapeutics. There wasn't a supply of ventilators or masks or protective gowns. In short, everything was in short or non-existent supply. Yes, yes, had Dr. Fauci. He had Dr. Fauci. That Trump did have Dr. Fauci. But as you'll see, that was someone he should have ignored from the start. Yeah, but we're learning more as the weeks roll by. Fauci inserted himself in all aspects of COVID response in the Trump administration in order to protect himself and the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, from any accountability as to where this deadly coronavirus came from. Quite evidently, Fauci and the NIH funded gain-of-function research at the Communist Party's Wuhan Institute of Weaponized Virology. And as for plans, pandemic plans, let's not forget Joe Biden was in charge of pandemic planning. Well, he was vice president under President Obama. I've decided decided to entitle this first Frankly Daniel show of the new year, The Humpty Dumpty's Had a Great Fall. And I'm not talking about your standard great fall either. No, sir, no, ma'am. I'm not speaking about the usual commonplace great fall. I'm talking about a spectacular, prodigious, colossal, flabbergasting great fall. Unbelievable great fall. The Humpty Dumpties I'm talking about are none other than Joe Biden and his sidekick, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Joe Biden really should have stayed in his basement and never surfaced. And as for Dr. Fauci, he should have retired as Trump left the White House. You know, good old Lunchpail Joe spent seven six-year terms in the Senate, 36 years on the public dole to start with. After all that time in the Senate, Joe had become a multimillionaire. Ever wonder how it is that all these penniless public servants enter public life and come out the other end multimillionaires? Yeah, they must be really shrewd with those pennies they save. Yeah, it's because uh, they they aren't really public service. They're they're self servants, is what they are at worst, and and political servants perhaps at best. Okay, I'll I'll spare the details on how Joe made all this money, but let's go directly to Joe's eight years as President Obama's vice president. Now, during those eight years, President Obama puts Joe in charge of several country portfolios, including China. China, that's where, isn't that where the virus came from? And the Ukraine. 
Of course, these are two of several countries that uh, Joe's son, Hunter, and brother, Frank, were allegedly able to extract cash uh, payments from um, after Joe left office. Uh, Cash for what, you ask? Uh, Cash linked to an alleged influence peddling scheme. An alleged scheme supposedly detailed on Hunter's mystery laptop computer. Remember the Hunter laptop? The laptop Joe Biden said during the 2020 presidential campaign that 50 former highly placed intelligence officers blamed was a Russian plant. Uh, That laptop uh, was supposed to be Russian disinformation, and nothing contained on that laptop was to be believed. Yet here we are 15 months later, and we still don't know if the Christopher Wray FBI is really investigating Hunter and Frank and their alleged influence peddling scheme as detailed on Hunter's laptop. Furthermore, we still don't know if the Biden's uh, pathetic Attorney General Merrick Garland, whether he's going to follow up with the Department of Justice investigation and possible indictment of Hunter and Frank and Joe's alleged involvement in their alleged influence peddling scheme. One thing we do know for sure is that an awful lot of money and diamonds exchanged hands over those four years after Joe left political office in 2017 until he assumed the presidency in 2021. But all that malarkey is material for another show. No, I, 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 I want to touch on another part of Joe's responsibility during his eight years as the nation's vice president. Eight years that included Joe being put in charge of the 2009 swine flu pandemic. Yes, it's called the H1N1, although Joe could never keep those straight. He always, N1, H1, whatever. But it's the H1N1 influenza virus that caused a very deadly pandemic. Now, the CDC estimates uh, that about 61 million cases occurred, uh, nearly 300,000 hospitalizations, and just around 15,000 deaths in the United States due to H1N1. That's nothing compared to what we're experiencing with the um, coronavirus, but nonetheless, it's still, still something to point to. At one point in the H1N1 virus, it was spreading so fast that Joe and Dr. Anthony Fauci recommended that the government stop testing for the virus because it was only causing more panic. Now, eventually, the virus died all by itself. No one really understands why or how the virus burnt itself out, but it just abruptly ended. Now, Ronald uh, Klain was Biden's chief of staff during Biden's eight years as vice president. He was also chief of staff of the government's effort against H1N1, so he knows quite a bit about it. He is currently President Biden's chief of staff. Here's an audio clip of him at a conference in 2019 explaining exactly what happened with the H1N1 pandemic and their handling of it. Uh, I just had a couple things. I mean, I, I was in the White House in 2009, 2010. I was working for Vice President Biden. I wasn't involved directly in the H1N1 response, but I, I lived through it as a White House staffer. And what I will say about it is uh, a bunch of really talented, really great people working on it, and we did every possible thing wrong. And it's, you know, 60 million Americans got H1N1 uh, in that period of time. And it's just purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history. Had nothing to do with us doing anything right. It just had to do with luck. Uh, and so if anyone thinks that this can't happen again, uh, they don't have to go back to 1918. They just have to go back to 2009, 2010. Imagine a virus with a different lethality, and you can just um, do the math on that. Now, 
you know, what did that tell us? It told us that um, the vaccine will arrive late. It told us that uh, if it's not prepared in advance, it will arrive late. If we don't have the answer before, we're not going to get the answer in time. Uh, and it told us that our systems for deciding how to distribute and administer a vaccine in the time of crisis are going to be uh, badly, badly tested. It also told us one other thing, that we really lack a global policy mechanism for dealing with these untested vaccines in an emergency situation. Now, we saw this a little bit in 2014 in West Africa, just as towards the tail end of that outbreak, obviously we got some of these new experimental vaccines, had some uh, phase one testing here, phase two, wanted to get them into the field in West Africa, and immediately had issues about who would be liable if the vaccine made anyone sick, who would be liable if there were different claims, who would own the intellectual property from the resulting uh, tests of the vaccine. And we kind of found a way to band-aid through it in that instance, but it's pretty clear that we're in the, whereas in the United States we have the PREP Act, there's no global PREP Act, there's no global structure. Uh, a lot of Jim's constituent companies were very worried about their exposure uh, in, in that circumstance. And you can imagine a scenario, we kind of faced this a little bit in 2010 with uh, H1N1, where the vaccine didn't arrive for us in time, it got in time to Europe, uh, and then there was a big controversy over whether or not it could be administered, what was the regulatory approvals, so on and so forth. I mean, this has been a life or death situation. Policy would have killed people, or the absence of policy would have killed people. And so I think uh, one thing we can do now is, is try to get together, try to figure out a solution on this liability issue that works worldwide and not just in the U.S., uh, and that um, uh, deals with this. Because one thing we know for sure is if we have to deal with it in the moment, it, it's going to be very bad. <laughs> uh, notice how Rod Klain minimized, in all humility, I'm sure, his role in the H1N1 fiasco. Notice that he didn't mention that Vice President Joe Biden was in charge of the H1N1 program, much as Vice President Mike Pence was in charge of the COVID-19 planning and administration under President Trump. And let me say, Mike Pence did a spectacular job of coordinating, contracting, and communicating all things COVID-19. Pence was outstanding, and we should never forget his awesome contribution in this area. The other person uh, Ron failed to mention was Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, Fauci was head of the NIH's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases all the way back in 2009. Fauci headed the vaccine project for the H1N1 uh, pandemic, but this vaccine never came to fruition. In fairness to Dr. Fauci, had the disease not up and disappeared and given him more time, he may well have developed the necessary ingredients and formula to create an H1N1 vaccine. The point to note here is that with all Biden's legislative experience, he couldn't get several things, including a vaccine, approved through his federal bureaucracy. And here's my point. Biden didn't have a COVID-19 plan when he entered the White House on January 21, 2021. The plan he had, the only plan he had, was the Trump's warp speed vaccination plan. Now, in fairness to President Trump, Trump was very enthusiastic about ambulatory therapeutics and treatments. After all, when he was hospitalized with COVID, he claimed his recovery was due to the physicians and nurses and therapeutics. 
Trump was and still is a champion of COVID-19 therapeutics. Fauci and Biden have never been in favor of even investigating, not even investigating any possible drug repurposing as COVID-19 therapeutics. Now, Merck and Pfizer went out on their own with no encouragement from Fauci or Biden, and they developed two drugs taken in pill form that reduce hospitalization in the unvaccinated patient by 90%. Biden and Fauci both dragged their feet on seeing the FDA approve these two wonder drugs. Trump would have ensured that both were approved the day after their clinical trials that demonstrated these incredible results. Finally, because even the Biden ass-kissing press went after the administration as to why these two drugs were still awaiting FDA approval for emergency use authorization. Well, within 24 hours of the national outcry, both received approval. (laughs) How about that? The arrogance of Fauci and the White House in not only approving these drugs sooner means that millions of us who've contracted the Omicron variant are going to have to suffer through it without any of the benefits of these ambulatory, yeah, you can take these at home, drugs. As I said before, Fauci and Biden wanted to vax their way out of the pandemic. In short, they wanted to use part of Trump's plan to end the pandemic but they wanted no part in Trump's second plan, which was the development of ambulatory therapeutics, because they believed these efforts would dissuade people from getting vaccinated. As I'll show you later, this is the same reason the White House, through the CDC, killed the at-home rapid antigen test kit program. They killed it in May of this year. No, you haven't heard this before, but there's a lot of documentation. Yes, the reason... We don't have millions upon billions of needed home test kits is because the White House torpedoed the rapid antigen test kit program. So much to say about this later. They told Abbott and other developers of home kits that the CDC and the FDA were going to rely largely on clinic and hospital laboratory PCR tests. You know, the ones that take as much as three days to get the results back, and that's if they rush it because these tests were far better, in their opinion, in being sensitive to ensuring positives were positive and negatives were negatives than the rapid antigen tests like Abbott's Binox now COVID-19 self-test kits. And they are more sensitive, but not that much more for public health use. The truth be told is that Fauci and the White House, they were afraid that the evil unwashed and unvaccinated, they were going to use these at-home test kits to monitor their COVID-19 status and not get, you guessed it, vaccinated. Well, this couldn't stand. They saw a further decline in the numbers of people getting vaccinated in May, and they were sure if employers began accepting these home test results to allow unvaccinated folks to work, well, this would submarine the administration's vaccine plans. And they just couldn't let that happen. So have you been among the millions of Americans looking for a COVID-19 test? After listening to dozens of patient experiences and reading multiple similar nightmares online, let me share with you a composite of my experience and their experiences this past Christmas week. After driving to seven CVSs and three Walgreens drugstores, you've been lucky enough to find one home antigen rapid COVID-19 test kit. 
Thankfully, it's in one box, but it has two tests in it. Well, for 25 bucks, it better have at least two tests. So what have you done since you got home? Did you use one of the tests right away? Are you saving both of them for later? If you use one now, was it negative? It was? What now? Are you sure it was negative? Are you sure you've been exposed to COVID? Or are you just nervous about the whole darn mess? Maybe you tested too early. Perhaps you should have waited until tomorrow to have it tried in the first place. Now now you're wondering what you got for 25 bucks. Your nurse friend told you to buy the Abbott Home Test Kit. But when you got to the store, they didn't have that brand. Instead, they had a different test. It came in a smaller box than the one your friend showed you. But what could I do? I had to buy it anyway. And now you're wondering if you followed directions correctly. Maybe you should have moved the nasal swab deeper up your nose and not spun it, but around and moved it in a circular motion like it said in the directions. Oh, heck, why didn't I remember that? If I only had a second box of tests, I could take one test a day, and that would, that would be four days, and that would get me, it'd get me at least a Monday. But now I have only one test left, and I'll never find another box set to buy. I'll reread the instructions tomorrow, and if I feel worse, I'm going to use the test. Okay, I used it. The second test was negative. But God must be looking out for you because you found another test kit to buy. But it's not the same company, but the directions look sort of like the other test you used yesterday that came back negative. So you reread the instructions. You put six drops of reagent into the card slot. Now you've swabbed your navel passage and inserted the swab without breaking the stick that it's on into the card with the reagent. Now you have to wait 15 minutes to see if a red line shows up against the control's red line. If your sample matches the control red line, then that's a positive test and you likely have COVID. But which COVID do you have? If it turns red, I mean the line. Is it Omicron or Delta? Is there a difference? Of course there is. Omicron's the milder form and Delta's the killer. But wait, you're vaccinated. Heck, you even got the booster. So why do you have a positive test? Oh my gosh, my test came back positive. And now it's the next day and I feel awful. You're running a fever just under 100 degrees. You ache all over. It hurts to even touch your hair. You have a headache and occasional chills, and yeah, you have a sore throat and everything. Oh, she's in a panic, and you're mad, and you call your nurse friend. She recommends you go to the emergency room and try to get a PCR test. She tells you that's the gold standard of test, and they can also test you for the flu. You say the flu? You mean I could have the flu? She says, have you gotten the flu shot yet this year? You say, no, I've never gotten the flu shot. She says, well, you could have the flu, but don't worry about the flu shot. It's not very effective against this strain of the flu this year. But if you can get into the ER, they'll be able to test you for COVID and the flu. So you go to the hospital ER closest to you. The place is packed and everyone looks worse than you actually feel. And you feel like you don't want to say it out loud. We understand. After a five-hour wait and a $250 copay, they swabbed you for the flu, which was negative, And they swabbed you for COVID-19. Now go home. But is your COVID test negative or positive? We don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Oh, didn't they tell you it'll take three to five days to get the results back from the COVID test? And since it's the beginning of the holiday weekend, it could be longer. They told you that you should feel better. But if you don't, go ahead and call your family physician. A lot of good that'll do. Most family docs have nothing to treat you with other than sympathy. 
It's been six days, and now you've gone through 12 boxes of Kleenex and a half a bottle of Advil, and you finally get your COVID-19 test results in the mail. You're positive for COVID-19. How wonderful. But which COVID-19? Sorry, we don't run those tests here. We can only tell you that it was negative or it was positive. Great. Your ER visit cost you a total of $537 in total, and all you got out of that was you don't have the flu and you did have some type of COVID infection. As you settle back in your easy chair, thinking about calling your employer to tell her you're not going to be back to work for some time next week. The phone rings in its Department of Public Health. You wonder, how did they get my number? Boy, they sure are aggressive on the phone. They want to know about everyone I've ever had contact with in the last 10 days. They want their names, their phone numbers, where they live, how I know them, how long I've known them. And the misery never ends. And I'm convinced this is my own small piece of Joe Biden's Afghanistan. You finally realize that Joe Biden is managing COVID-19 just like he manages everything else. Be it Afghanistan, the border, the supply chain, inflation, doesn't really matter. I'm excited to talk about a new product from Healthy Cell, AC11. This is a patented bioactive extract of Uncaria tomentosa from the Amazon rainforest. It supports cell DNA repair and health span. It's a dietary supplement. I'm excited to try it. Many are interested in longevity and attenuation of senescence. We know that telomere length and other uh, biologic measures are related to senescence in uh, 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 clinical and uh, preclinical studies, particularly of animal models. And I can tell you as a doctor, dietary supplements do hold the promise of attenuating repair and damage in our body due to stress, physical wear and tear, sunlight, etc. And there's a tremendous opportunity for supplements to help us in this area. And so Healthy Cell has brought a product to market for you to try as part of your health portfolio. So please go to HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, list out loud for 20% off your first purchase of products from Healthy Cell. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and the pursuit of 2022 is upon us. Happy New Year, my fellow Americans. Though for last year's words belong to last year's language, and next year's words await another voice. As from T.S. Eliot, here's to your voice being heard in the new year. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. back to the Frankly Daniel Show. Before the break, I was going through a scenario, uh, sort of a composite scenario of people who've been dealing with these at-home COVID tests and trying to figure out what to do with them once they got them. What good would one test do them or two tests do them? If they were positive, what did they do in those situations? If it was negative, but they felt lousy, still, uh, what, what, what did they possibly do about it? Their story was not very dissimilar from my own. Um, my son, who's a registered nurse, my th- our third son is a registered nurse and works in a medical office. My wife's also a registered nurse. He had visited us a couple days before, and it turned out 
by the time it got to be Christmas Eve, he told us that their office had closed down because of COVID, and he was pretty sure that he had it too and that I may have been exposed. So we drove to a CVS store six miles away from us, and um, we bought the last two COVID tests that they had in the store. They were Abbott tests, thankfully. Those are the ones he recommended, and so we picked them up, the last two. We got home, and the next day, I began to feel fairly fairly ill, and um, took the test, and of course, the red lines all matched up, and it tested positive. So I called my oncologist uh, to see what I was to do. I have leukemia. Uh, this is my second round with it. I'm totally vaccinated with all 47 shots that I'm supposed to have. I go in every month for uh, immunoglobulin uh, infusions, which are supposed to boost my immunity, since I really have very little to none immune to no immunity. And and as you find out, if you are immunosuppressed, that the vaccines don't really help all that much. They do help, but it's nothing like a, a healthy person getting vaccines. Um, she recommended I get into the ER and try to get on some monoclonal antibodies. Uh, it was going to be a push, though, because they were in short supply, because the truth of it is that the Biden administration had stopped shipping monoclonal antibodies to both Texas and to Florida, and a lot of it is because of political disputes going on between the Biden administration and, and these two states' administrations. Um, so my wife and I, uh, day after Christmas, we went up to the ER uh, we got in early. We, very interesting. Uh, I've been in ERs across the world and ERs across this country, both as a consultant, as a practitioner, as an educator. And never before I've been confronted uh, going into an ER and being confronted by a police officer immediately at the entrance. It's all blocked off, only one way in. And it's through a big medical de metal de detector. And you have to go ahead and explain why you're there at the ER or what you hope to, to get done. And uh, we told them that I'd have leukemia. This is my oncologist sent me in. And uh, they want me to start on monoclonal antibodies. And the police officer says, well, we don't do those here. We don't have any. And I, <laughs> I thought it was a little strange for the police officer to be telling me this. And he said, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure that we've been out of those for some time. And I don't want you to come through because if you go through, they're going to charge you uh, a copay, which is pretty expensive, and you're just going to be told the same thing on the other side. And I said, are you really sure my oncologist wouldn't have sent me here? I mean, she's a practicing oncologist here for a decade and got a huge practice here. He said, well, let me see. So very politely, he went back and talked with the nurse manager. The nurse manager came out, talked with my wife and I, and she said, uh, well, uh, don't tell anybody. For God's sakes, don't tell anybody. But we do have a hundred monoclonal antibodies uh, test uh, kits still available. Or they're not test kits; they're actually uh, uh, therapeutics. They're by infusion. It's about a twenty-minute infusion. And she said, "I don't know if you qualify. Uh, I don't want you to come back here, and we still have to go through a process to try and get these approved. We have not been dispensing them. They're very precious. We're holding on to them." And I can't guarantee anything, but, uh, you know, she, she was really wonderful in her explanation. Very, very caring, very, uh, very courteous, really appreciated their whole approach, both the police officer and them. Although I've never run into a situation like that uh, 
where you've got to go through both the law and through some kind of medical screening. But they, they would have saved us a lot of money if, if they weren't going to be able to do anything and we had to get onto the other side. So uh, that's, that's what we did. We went through and we trusted that I, my condition was bad enough. <laughs> and uh, with this second leukemia, that uh, if they had them, they were going to find a way to get them to me. So we were admitted. We went into a room. The nurse again explained all the things with me, and they they set me up at 12 lead EKG, 47, 47 different vials of blood they took. I mean, it's, it's quite a, a protocol you go through when you get admitted in my condition um, in there, and uh, you put on those little stupid gowns that you hate wearing. Um, I'd, I'd like to get a hold of the guy whoever designed those gowns, it, it, you know, you think with all the great designers we have in the world, somebody would come up with something better than these stupid hospital gowns. But anyway, um, and my wife was able to stay. That's not true a lot of times in, in the ER. They only let the patient in nowadays because they don't want other people exposing other people to all the mysteries of COVID. Um, and it, it went ahead and did a PCR test on me. And a couple hours later, they, they had uh, got it done and and uh, they told me it was positive, and they were going through the pharmacy committee and talking to all the higher-ups about whether they could give me the monoclonal antibodies. Well, as it turns out, a couple hours later, they were going to go ahead with that. Uh, to make a, a long day short, it was about eight hours. We were there. It took 20 minutes to get, <laughs> to get an infusion of these antibodies. But uh, we left uh, that evening and got home, and uh, the, the next day I did begin to feel better. Uh, and and, and I've, I've nearly recovered, although my voice is, is really off, and I, I still have some aches and pains and everything else. But I was very appreciative to the fact and felt, uh, you know, terrible that I ended up having to use one of a 100 kits that I know that other people are going to use. But heck, when you're in a situation like that, what are you going to do? And and I'm, I'm very appreciative that I'm here in Florida. I'm sure that I'd been in New York or someplace else. I'd have been in very, very sorry shape. And it's not because people wouldn't be willing to do things there. They, they just have a whole different mindset administratively about how how they handle these things. So uh, I'm, I'm very thankful about all of that. By, by way of note, I do want to mention that the uh, medical officer for the state of Florida, the chief medical officer, uh, under the DeSantis administration, has just written a very strongly worded letter uh, to the, the FDA and the CDC and all the powers that be in Washington about this monoclonal antibody uh, issue and why they have stopped shipments uh, to Florida and that it is reprehensible in so many words. Uh, they don't have any really good rationale for it. They claim that these monoclonal antibodies do not work against uh, the current uh, variant floating around out there, the Omicron, that they are only effective against the Delta and other variants. Uh, and the assumption is is that everybody's got Omicron at the moment and nobody's got Delta. And uh, the Surgeon General of uh, Florida went on to explain in the letter that's just a lot of BS and that they need to restart these shipments. There's no reason whatsoever, uh, ethically, morally, or legally, for them to withhold them. 
So hopefully more is coming, and they well should. By the way, the, the letter is available on, on Twitter, and you can also just go ahead and Google it. You'll, you'll, you can find it just about everywhere. Well, I know our time is short, and I want to switch to a few things here. This next clip I want to play is of Dr. Fauci as he disingenuously talks about uh, quarantines and all the quarantine measures that have gone on. As you may well imagine, in the paternalistic approach, the Biden administration and Fauci have taken to all things COVID. Their uh, quarantine methods have been 10 days and 14 days if you're exposed, not exposed, have been vaccinated. People in these have been pretty onerous uh, restrictions that they've had. And if you think about all the mandates for vaccination, you wonder why we have a labor shortage in this country. And nurses and physicians and truck drivers and everybody that's been laid off, there's no wonder we have a supply chain problem going on. It's not a supply chain problem. It's a labor problem. And now they finally have come around to see that for reasons that don't make any more sense than the ones they put on in the first place, they've cut down on on the quarantine days. So let's let's hear from Fauci. Well, it's going be it, it well, certainly we're considering it going beyond just healthcare workers, because, you know, there are a lot of people in society that are essential for the smooth running of the infrastructure of our society. So the idea about cutting down the period of quarantine for people who've been exposed and perhaps the period of isolation for people who have been infected is something that is under, I would say, serious consideration. Now, I've got another clip to follow where he's going to go ahead and endorse this because the plan was put through. But you have to wonder, all these considerations about uh, our operation of our society and everything else, what, what were the mandates all about? And why are they still fighting this? And they're going to fight it on, on January 7th at the Supreme Court. What a, uh, here's the next clip. Well, the reason is that with the, with the sheer volume of new cases that we are having and that we expect to continue with Omicron, one of the things we want to be careful of is that we don't have so many people out. I mean, obviously, if you have symptoms, you should not be out. But if you are asymptomatic and you are infected, we want to get people back to the jobs, particularly those with essential jobs, to keep our society running smoothly. So I think that was a very prudent and good choice on the part of the CDC, which we spent a considerable amount of time discussing, namely getting people back in half the time than they would have been out so that they can get back to the workplace doing things that are important to keep society running smoothly. I, I, easily, I easily have about another hour's worth of discussion about some of the baloney that's been going on recently about testing about uh, quarantining, uh, about the acceptance of acquired immunity, uh, which they still don't want to recognize whatsoever. But there's a, a one clip here that I really want to get in, and this is exchange between Marty McCary, Dr. Marty McCary, good friend of ours. He's a full professor, uh, he's a surgeon uh, at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and he's also a professor of public health policy at the Johns Hopkins School of, of Public Health. CDC, it's about $9 billion, sir. How, how about at NIAID? What's the budget there? $6 billion. $6 billion. $9 billion at CDC, $6 billion NIAID. What's, what, what about NIH? What's the budget there? Uh, between 42 and $43 billion. 42 and 43 So I do the quick math, that's like $57, $58 billion. That's annual, right? Annual. 
Okay, and uh, you know how many people work at uh, CDC? Um, CDC and NIH together, about 30,000 people. 30,000, what about if you add in NIAID? You know how many that is? Or they're part of, they're part of, they're part of uh, uh, NIH as well, right? So 30, what was that number? That's right. That's right, 50, uh, 31,000 people between CDC and NIH. 31,000 people spending $58 billion a year. Uh, why hasn't our government done a study on natural immunity? If I can be honest, uh, Representative Jordan, I don't think they wanna know the answer. It would undermine the indiscriminate vaccine, vaccination policy for every single human being, including extremely low risk so people. So uh, how many how many Americans have uh, have have got covid uh, since since we've had this virus, Do you know, north of half of Americans based on a Columbia University study that showed one in three had covid at the end of last year, a year ago. So there's certainly a, certainly a, a, a sufficient sample size to to do a study. And there's fifty seven to fifty eight billion dollars. Some I mean, you could use some of that money to do a study. Um, and then, of course, you know, you got 30 some thousand people who could conceivably do a study on a pretty fundamental uh, question. Now, I, I think I, I saw in your opening statement that you're actually doing a study on natural immunity. Is that right? That's right. With private funding, Johns Hopkins, my research team is doing a study. OK, so uh, you're, you, there's no grant money coming from CDC, NIH, nothing like that. No, sir. And are any of these 30 some thousand employees helping you with your study? No, sir. Now, other countries, if, if I understand, I think this was in your opening statement as well. Other countries have done this study. Is that is that correct? Uh, most of our learnings come from Israel and other countries. Yes, sir. And what have they found? Let's, let's start with the Israel study. If you could just refresh my memory. What did Israel find? The Israel study is the largest study done worldwide, and it found that natural immunity adjusted for age and comorbidity is 27 times more effective than vaccinated immunity. And they just put out on December 5th, another study, follow, a follow-up study, again, affirming similar results that, vac that natural immunity is stronger than vaccinated immunity. But, uh, but, our, but our, the scientists in our government at, the, at CDC and, and, and NIH, they don't account for that? They don't talk about that? They, what, what do they say about that study? They or never talk about they never talk about it um, unless asked, but I would say that they are doing worse than being absent on the topic. They are undermining natural immunity through two studies that the CDC did that are so flawed, that are so uh, poorly put together. Honestly, they would not qualify for a seventh grade science fair. The results cannot be derived from the data. And it's a disgrace that those two studies were put out because it undermines the larger body of science. So they won't talk about international studies that conclude that natural immunity is 27 times better than the vaccine, but they will do some bogus, to, to, in your words, some seventh grade science experiment studies using some of those 33,000 employees and using some of that $58 billion of the American taxpayer money. Uh, they will do that. That's, That's right there. That's fair. I will say their intention is noble, but just very paternalistic. That is, they believe in from private conversations that if they acknowledge natural immunity, some people may avoid vaccination and think I'll just get the infection. We don't want people to do that, but we can be honest with the data and encourage vaccination at the same well, time. I think the American people, particularly the ones paying, paying for, this is their money, they expect honesty and transparency from our government. They don't expect to be deceived 
So, I mean, this is what gets me. We can spend money. Some of that 58 billion and some of the resources at NIH and CDC can be used to fund gain of function research and give a grant to EcoHealth, who then sends some of that money to uh, a lab in, in Wuhan, China. That's just fine, but we can't find any resources to deal with a fundamental question about natural immunity and so much so that you have to go out and get private funding to do it yourself. That's right. The NIH spent twice as much money on aging research last year, the year of COVID, uh, more than they spent on COVID research. This would be laughable if it wasn't so serious. And the implications when you think about these mandates and everything else that's happening, what it's doing to our economy, not to mention just being honest with the American people who, after all, it's their money. Uh, but but yet we have we have the head guy, Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, saying I represent science, but he's afraid to actually do the science and do the studies that need to be done to answer this question. And we have to rely on international studies and your private study to get the truth to the American people. We've subjected 72 million children to intense restrictions for two years, yet we don't have the most basic research. We've never had an NIH fund, funded study on masks in kids. And we've never had any information revealed by the CDC on whether or not any ch healthy child has died. So of doctor, COVID. it's either it's either they know the answer and don't want the American people. Uh, they, they, they know the answer and don't want the American people to know or they do know the answer and are trying to hide it. I mean, it's, it's like they, they know the answer or, or they, they're, they're not they're not sure the they answer, I should say, know. or they know the answer. As I wind down this first Frankly Daniel show of 2022. I'd like to read part of a commentary written by Joshua Lippincott and published in the Tennessee Star newspaper on December 30th of 2021. Joshua Lippincott entitled his piece, The Everlasting COVID Crisis. I highly recommend you Google this article. It will resonate with you. Again, the title is The Everlasting COVID Crisis. And his name is Joshua Lippincott. Joshua writes, The bureaucratic state moves in one direction. It always gets bigger, more powerful, and more entrenched. There is never any reversal of state power. Even when the threats that seemingly necessitated government interference in the first place are gone, COVID will follow the same course. The attention and energy the regime gives to the illness will wax and wane, but it will never never disappear entirely. The biomedical security state created in the virus's wake is here to stay. Ten years from now, for instance, discussions about boosters, vaccine efficiency, health checks, asymptomatic spread, and flattening the curve will still be part of our national discourse, permanently ingrained in our collective psyche by the innumerable bureaucracies, corporations, and media entities that see in this global health crisis a never-ending potential for grift. At a psychological level, liberals gravitate to despotic surveillance measures. Liberalism is a feminine tyranny, like a neurotic mother trying to protect her toddler from every possible pain. The liberal longs for a world without any possible of danger. The padded cell with every risk and inconvenience removed is her paradise a diverse, androgynous, inhuman, impersonal mode of being without any kind of blood or ancestral ties is the vision, John Lennon's image, made flesh. If you want to understand the leftist mind, just look at their art. 
the flat, childish, soul-dead, primary color-laden, inclusive cartoon style that virtually every major corporation gravitates to in order to market their products. I call this art form liberal surrealism, and like all art, it reveals the soul, or in this case, the absence of one. The spiritual inclination toward weakness and ugliness explains why, in the face of all rational decision-making, leftists collectively decided that closing schools, cutting off the elderly from the outside world and crushing small businesses were the only ways to stop the illness. There was never any concern for the possible social or economic or political side effects. In fact, those very pains and challenges made the draconian social measures all the more enticing. Crisis gives our decrepit, aging, and ideologically fanatical ruling class something to live for. COVID is just one more narcotic with which to fill the God-shaped hole in the liberal heart. And like any good religion, it has its prophets, Fauci, and its villains, the unvaccinated, and its own demand for ritual sacrifice, in this case, of the young. And like all religions, it does not tolerate heretics. The crackdown on the unvaccinated reveals how deep and rotten liberal instincts have become. Joe Biden's pre-Christmas message promising a winter of death explains exactly who these people are. The Biden regime will never declare victory over COVID. There will be no return to the way things were. Whether the COVID response was a product of a global conspiracy or not is irrelevant. The ruling class of the world is already on the same spiritual sheet of music. All they want, they all want the same thing, the reduction of the world into one homogenous, undifferentiated mass that they can shake down for the foreseeable future. The destruction of all life All aspiration, all real science, and all real human community is what these people mean by democracy and human rights. If there is to be any freedom for Americans from the techno-medical despotism spreading across the world, it will require either a supreme act of statesmanship or a cataclysm. Now let me stop here for a moment to say this piece is political poetry. Oh, let me skip several paragraphs and read the ending. I don't want to spoil the whole thing for you, but let me just read the ending. Quote, Every abyss is a chance at rebirth. Like the phoenix rising from the flames of a cleansing fire, new possibilities can emerge out of moments of profound terror and death. This is a problem, of course. No one prays to live through Armageddon. It would be better if we could all have a life of liberty and peace without the terror and crisis. But that requires a fighting spirit and a willingness to push back against the administrative tyranny that rings around all of modern life. No, the West isn't too far gone, not yet. But we need leaders willing to fight. Let us pray that we find such men. End quote. So well said, and let me add, it won't be just men. I believe it's going to be men and women, and women and men. But above all, they will be true Americans. It will be those of the same spirit who grabbed their muskets at Lexington and Concord and met the British on the back roads of Massachusetts. Oh, please, 
Listen to me now, and I pray you hear me later. You don't have to like Donald Trump's diction, his superlative-laced vocabulary, or his occasionally poison-pointed tweets. But truth be told, let's face it, we need more patriots exactly like Donald Trump. We need leaders who will take strategic risks and undertake bold initiatives to unleash the might and creativity that comes from liberty and freedom. And, of course, within the reason of justice and law. The course we're on now is toward tyranny, and tyranny is a far worse disease than COVID could ever hope to be. I believe in the vision and the reality of an America First policy, and importantly, I believe in an American's First Nation. We need less government, not more of what Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer, not to mention the infamous progressive squad members, have been trying to force-feed Americans for the past several years. Do you appreciate, do you appreciate how terribly close we were just days ago from a 50-50 Senate passing Biden's socialist build back more government and more corrupt government bill was? Do you think that the surveillance system our state and federal public health systems are building to track every cough and sniffle will ever stand down and get out of our personal lives? I don't want government to ever call me again and ask me who I associate with, how often I see them, and for how long are we in contact. Get the hell out of my life. And don't you dare tell me it's about the greater good or that my neighbor who refuses to get vaccinated is an American traitor or that she's the reason for your self-created winter of despair. We are either all Americans or none of us are. The start of 2022 is exactly the time to take a look in the mirror mirror on the wall and rudely ask if we're still Americans at all. Thank you for joining me today. I wish you and yours a very happy and prosperous new year. Until next week, cheers and blessings. Thank you.